Welcome to Diner Talks with James. Slide into the booth and let's have conversations we never want to end with friends we never want to leave over food we probably shouldn't be eating. My friends, welcome to this episode of Diner Talks with James. I'm James. Super excited to be with you all here today. We got Aaron King coming out in just a moment, y'all. I'm super pumped for you all to meet her because she is a badass human being. And I'm really pumped to tell you about her too. But before we do that, my friends, as always, if you have not written a review for this podcast, if you could help me out on iTunes, that would be so freaking cool. And it would be really special if you could mind dropping a quick review uh that would be great because we're trying to make this thing grow y'all and also uh, also i'm curious if you've all come up with a name for listeners of this podcast yet do you want to be called the diner patrons do you want to be called the I, I don't i don't even know are we are we servers are we milkshakers are we uh pancakers i don't know we can get weird quickly if we went down this rabbit hole let's not do it it'll get awkward all right friends let's just jump into the episode but seriously message me on instagram uh, diner talks with james on Instagram or me, James T. Robo, either way. And let's talk about some names for us because I think it'd be super fun to build community in that way. All right, y'all, let's jump into the episode. Tonight, my guest is Aaron King. Aaron King and I met at the National Speakers Association I believe three years ago, she'll correct me, uh, but three-ish years ago, we had a random happy hour dinner and we sat next to each other and uh, sparks flew, y'all, sparks flew. A lot of laughter, a lot of uh, a lot of love. I just, I love the way she thinks and I'm pumped to be having her on the podcast today. Uh, she has a new book coming out in just a couple of months. It's called You're Kind of a Big Deal uh, and it's awesome. Make sure that you pre-order. It's available for pre-order right now, anywhere that you pre-order your books. She also wrote a book called Digital Persuasion. That's because she's a digital marketer. She has a lot of stuff around digital marketing. She helps incredible companies out with how they show up in digital spaces and also helps them with their sales and tell their stories. It's incredible. She also is the CEO of a place called the Satellite, or Socialite, not Satellite, Socialite Agency, now where she's worked with things like the Academy Awards and the U.S. Navy. So if your company falls somewhere between those two, she could be a good fit, uh, but she is an incredible human being. And most importantly, she has a Cavapoo named Betty White. That's right, friends. A Cavapoo named Betty White. She's a badass. Her dog's a badass. Let's bring her out right now, y'all. Erin King. What up? What's up, James? Oh my gosh, Betty White heard her name and she perked up. I can bring her on screen if you want. I was just looking on Instagram. Your energy is incredible. And I'm so honored to be here for Diner Talks with the Hamburglers. With the hamburgers? <laughs> maybe the maybe the, uh, the 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 moons over my hammies. I'm trying to think of a good like diner name for your yeah. people. It's tough. Yeah, right. The Rudy Tooty Fresh and Fruities, um, right? That's an IHOP dish, I think. Um, yeah, making snappies. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Definitely not the In and Outers, though. Um, but. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, shoot. I love it. Uh, Aaron, you are a West Coast. You better not mute while you're laughing, my friend. You, you, we don't edit this podcast. You keep yourself unmuted, especially with that laugh. Um, 
<laughs> um, you know, there's options out here. There's options. Well, that's all I'm saying. Um, but uh, the steak and shakers, that could be good. Um, but uh, either way. <laughs> I think in and outers, I think you just won the game. I mean, I think Do that's we? a mic drop. Do we? All right, great. Well, that's unfortunately yeah. the, the best way to get a nickname is to tell people you don't want something to be your nickname. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think it just happened. I think it just happened. It just happened. Oh, no. This is awkward. We this is awkward. Uh, <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Aaron, you are out in LA right now. LA area, correct? Or San Orange Diego? County. Where are you? No, we are not in LA. LA is a very oh, strange place. It's not for everyone. Um, I detest LA. Wow. I live in Orange County, which is an hour south of LA, north of San Diego. Much nicer people. Okay. All right. Great. And, and line sh- stand. That's it. Shots fired, LA folks. Stand up yeah. if you need to. Uh, maybe this episode's not for you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I told you we're getting in. We're going in today. Uh, so, so now are you a, a California native? No, sir. I am two thirds East coast, one third West coast, born and raised in Annapolis, Maryland. Uh, my parents are um, Pennsylvania people. My brother lives in Boston. My sister lives in Maryland. A lot of family in North Carolina. So I am the black sheep out here on the West Coast for the last 12, 13 years now. And everyone keeps saying, when are you coming back home? And I'm like, I don't think I am coming back home. So I have two thirds of me, which is very much like tradition and family and hustle and work ethic. And and then one third of me is just like, a buzzed beach bum that just wants to surf and listen to Jack Johnson. So it's a real, it's a real mess. Very confusing. I love it. it. Crab cakes and bubble toes out here. Uh, That's that's where we're at. That's where we're at. That's That's the next Jack Johnson song. Um, (laughs) That's great. you got the East coast. There's a pace to which you speak that does speak East coast to me. And, And yeah, that's awesome. But you grew up in Maryland though. Yep. Grew up in Maryland, um, Annapolis. We uh, did do a lot of crab cakes in football, just like Wedding Crashers says. Yep, yep. And I have a huge, crazy um, Irish family. I have 30, how many, 32 or 33 first cousins. Oh. Um, so we are, you know, you know, we're Irish Catholics. We believe in God, Guinness and excessive procreation. So that's <laughs> our family. Um <laughs> We we are uh, we are Irish citizens as well. My grandparents are all from Ireland, so we have our Irish passports and our citizenship, and we all had to do Irish dancing when we were kids, and just like every stereotype of like everyone being loud and full of shit and playing music and just telling stories. And I'm really grateful and thankful for my family. They are insane, and I'm obsessed with them. <laughs> <laughs> That is incredible. Now your your immediate family, how many of how many of y'all are there? So I'm um, five of us in my immediate family, but my okay. parents are both each one of five. So you just do the math, it just multiplies. Yeah, well, yeah, right. Yeah. No, that's right. <laughs> We're all yeah. really tight. So. <laughs> Yeah. Like five factorial if my middle school math is coming back to me. Um that's that's awesome. Now where do you fall in in the in the five? Uh, I'm the oldest, so I am obviously always right, the most bossy, and always right. So um, uh, my brother is the golden child. He's the middle child, the overachiever. Mm. You know, he works for Google. He runs half marathons on the reg. His kids are perfect. He's a nice guy. You know, he yeah. calls his mom. Oh, and then my the worst. Cannon. Yeah, he's he's. <laughs> He's so nice and so annoyingly perfect. So he's yeah. the gold boy. And then my sister, Shannon, is uh, the baby. So she is 10 years younger. 
same mom and dad, just mm-hmm. kind of, hey there, what's up? Uh, so little Shani, uh, she's married to a guy named Brendan. It's all Irish names. Um, and she has a, a little dog named Rowan. They live in Annapolis. And um, I am so excited. I haven't seen them since 2019 Christmas. Woof. They're all coming out the first week of May. So I am about a month from now and I'm counting down the minute to get my hands on my people, my, my parents and my siblings are all coming out. So I can't wait. That's incredible. That's incredible. And I know they're always pulling you back, trying to pull you back to the East coast, but then there's that moment where they all come out and visit and they're all probably like, "Uh, I get it. I get it. (laughs) I know. Well, it's the catch 22. People are always like, oh, you're so lucky to live at the beach. And it's like, yes, absolutely. Hashtag blessed. And, you know, we spend a lot of money to live in a really crappy place. Like we don't have air conditioning or heat or a microwave or a dishwasher Mm -hmm. or parking, but like we can see the ocean. So it's all trade off. And then you don't (laughs) see family as much. So it's like, just depends on what, you know, what, what makes you feel excited about life, but yeah. like, you can never have it all. It's always a trade-off. So yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Now I am, uh, I'm the baby in my family of three Are you? and I am, I am, uh, feel free to keep paying attention to me. Thank you. But <laughs> <laughs> so you're, the, you're the smart ass. You're like, you're the one that actually runs the whole show, right? Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Uh, <laughs> the puppet master, right? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. no, that's awesome. What does being the oldest mean to you? Mm. You know, I just feel like we, uh, we, do you want a serious answer or a funny answer? Yes, both. I mean, definitely serious. Definitely hit us with the serious one, but if you got a funny one, I'll take it too. Well, I mean, obviously like we don't get the appreciation that we deserve for having blazed the trail for you youngins. Okay. You have no idea what we went through. We snuck out of the basement first. We had to go for the sleepovers. We smoothed the guy first. We did all these things and you guys just had like this beautiful path. By the time you came along, you know, your parents were like, screw it. He's fine. Let him go. Whatever. They're exhausted. Mm-hmm. So hashtag you're welcome to all the other <laughs> children and the oldest children. We do not get the respect we deserve. And it's just, it's, it's not there. It's a problem. <laughs> no, but, but seriously, I would say, um, you know, the thing that was interesting about being the oldest is, especially my little sister, um, cause she's 10 years younger than me. So I kind of was like a mom sister hybrid. Mm. And I think it's, um, it's just a sense of of like responsibility of of making sure that they feel like they're looking up to someone that they can maybe take a couple of nuggets from. I don't know that they do, but I always try my best with them to at least um, make them feel like there's someone that's kind of driving the way that we should be charging through life, which is go big, you know, and not play small. So I'm hoping that they get that from me. I highly doubt that, but that's my hope. <laughs> so. I mean, with your accomplishments, I don't know how they couldn't, uh, right. And what you've done and uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's possible, but, uh, but I hear, I hear what you're saying. I hear the humbleness in there and I respect it. I'll, I won't, I won't call it out again. That's a lie. I will, but, uh, <laughs> but still, <laughs> It's like you're never a prophet in your own land. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's real. That's real. That's real. Yeah, for sure. Did you, I guess, was that a pressure that you always felt? Was that like kind of something you were like, okay, I got to step up. I got to be this person. Um, Or is it kind of one and... Or is it something that's dis and is it something, let me try that? Is it something you've always felt, or is it something that's kind of dissipated throughout your life as they've gotten older? Or do you kind of is that always something that you hold? 
Yeah, well, my parents are both, um, I don't know if you're into astrology, this is a very California answer, but Let's if you're go. into astrology, okay, so they're both Virgos, so they're both very much like or organized and orderly, and they're planners, and their things are black and white, and things go in boxes, and there's lists, and health foods, and 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 cleanliness is godliness, and like, this is the house that I grew up in, yeah. and when I think about uh, my brother and sister, they're actually both very much, very similar to my parents. So weirdly enough, I'm kind of the black sheep of mm. my family. I'm the only one on the West Coast. I'm the only entrepreneur. You know, my dad worked for the same company for 30 years. My parents <laughs> have been married, thank God, for 40 years. If if we go to Baskin and Robbins when we were kids and there were 31 flavors, my dad got vanilla. You know, if we have all specials <laughs> at the Italian restaurant, he just gets the spaghetti and meatballs. My dad was like, five minutes early to everything is whole life, which is yeah. my entire reason that I have confidence as a woman is I could always rely on my dad and my mom to do what they said they were going to do, have a clean house. I'm really, really lucky. I grew up in a really calm, organized childhood, which of course made me a hellion that wanted to break out and shake it all up and, and get wild, <laughs> right? Um, but so my, my brother and sister, my brother works for Google and my sister works for The Knot. So they both work for a pretty big recognizable company. So at Christmas, my parents were like, so Brian works for Google and Shannon works for The Knot and Aaron uh, does, she kind of like plays on Twitter. We, she writes, you know, <laughs> they tell them what you do. Tell them what you do. I'm like, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you know, it's hard to explain. So, um, so yeah, I guess I'm not the traditional like oldest child, I guess you would say in my family, yeah. to be totally honest. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That's totally fine. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. My my brothers are significantly older than me. They're nine and 11 years older than me. Okay. And, and so... Uh, but there's nobody in between. <laughs> there's no, there's no step ladder up to the top. Okay. My parents are just like, oops. <laughs> I asked my parent, my dad, one day on the golf course, I said, I said, dad, you know, I was born a little, little after Brian and Johnny, like what, you know, what happened? Did you all want me? What's going on? And you know, he's, he's, he gets two answers depending on when I ask him. Cause I like hearing him. He says, well, we wanted you then. And, uh, but then, <laughs> but then, but his late, his latest answer is like, I mean, was I a mistake? And he's like, all three of you are mistakes. Um, and it's like, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> but that's awesome. he's like, well, we're glad you're here now. So thanks. So, but, uh, it is, it's, it's so funny to have that big gap because yeah. I never, our formative years were so different. Like my, my brothers are going off to college and I'm over here trying to figure out like which Maxbox car I want to play with. Right. Yeah. And, and they're coming home from college and, and spending time at home. And I'm finally starting to get into middle school or high school. And it, yeah. it's been fascinating. And we didn't really have a true conversation about life until I got to college. That's wow. when the game started changing. And that's when our, you know, our lives got much closer. Now uh, there was always been love. There wasn't any resentment, right? I mean, I have all these awesome memories of us sitting on the, the couch in the back room, watching the Simpsons together and stuff like that. Then those are, those are cool memories. But as far as that moment where I feel like they saw me as a fellow human being who was articulate and maybe capable of independent thought, like from that moment in college and on our relationship has really grown and it's, it's pretty cool. I'm wondering if you felt something similar with your youngest sibling. Cause like you said, you're, yeah. you're kind of playing the parent role. Yeah. Well, so I don't know if you felt this way, but do you feel like you were always trying to maybe like catch up with your brothers, like close the gap somehow in the way that you lived or no? 
Yeah, I certainly wanted to. Like whenever, like every once in a while, my parents would be like, you're taking your brother over to your friend's house, right? And then we'd have to go over there and then I'd be like, can I play with your pool table? And they're talking about whatever they're talking about. And right, but like, I wanted to be cool. Like we're all hanging out and it was, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Yeah, well, it's funny because my sister is always, she always wanted to like catch up to us. And and so it was hard because, you know, she was 14 years old when I moved out to California. So it's kind of similar mm. to you. I mean, she was just jumping into mil- to high school, yeah. um, you know, listening to, you know, the Britney Spears. I guess that was me. What was she listening to? She was listening to more like <laughs> Hillary Duff or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. Aaron Carter. Um, yeah. And, you know, she was just trying to figure out. And her sister's taking off for California, 3,000 miles away. Um, and she made me a little mix CD with all the California songs. And I mean, from the time she was 14, I only really saw her live, you know, two, three, four times a year. Um, so it was tough for a while because I would kind of come home and expect her to still be this little baby nugget. And so she'd always kind of really put on her big girl pants and put on a little bit of like the sassiness, like I'm a doll, <laughs> I'm, I'm big. Um, and so it's funny because, you know, she got married uh, two years ago when she was 26, I think 25, 26 to this awesome guy, phenomenal guy. And I was her maid of honor. And it was funny because I waited to get married till I was later. Cause my dad, you know, my dad played football um, his whole life. And so our whole life, was always sports analogies. Like That's what every- Marilyn does, crab cakes and football. Crab cakes and football, exactly. <laughs> so like all you sports analogies, people are rolling. I'm like, if you don't like sports analogies, I, I don't know what to tell you, because that's the only way I know how to explain life from yeah. my dad. So he'd be like, listen, he's from Philadelphia. He'd be like, so listen, E, when it comes to like, you know, life, like you're on the four and one plan, okay? Here's the four and one plan, okay, track with me. You get four years of college, one wedding, and then you're off the payroll. Does that make sense? And I was like, <laughs> Yes, sir. And that is very generous and kind. And thank you. But so I knew I only had to get, I only could get married one time. So I waited till I was 35 to make sure that it was the right person. <laughs> so far it was. But my sister got married a lot younger. So I was her maid of honor. And I think in that moment, like, you know, watching her be someone that got married 10 years younger than me and is like buying a house. And, you know, she's so much more, you know, probably like you, wise beyond her years and mature because she's been watching my brother and I for years do this thing. And she's ready to get in there so we can all be on the same page. Whereas I'm like trying to obviously reverse time, right? Live my best life. Felt like crashed my mountain bike last week, went surfing (laughs) yesterday. I'm trying to be a 12 year old boy while she's trying to be a grown up woman. So it's an interesting um, dynamic, but I will say uh, my sister really is, um, it's funny to like move from, I changed your diaper to like, wow, you're so articulate and so um, fair and balanced. And I really look up to her. She almost has like this therapist calming way of analyzing things. And she's really just a dynamo. So whenever I talk to her, I'm just blown away. I'm like, wow, you're not like a little punk. You're a genius. Yeah. So she's, she's pretty cool. It's kind of crazy because it, it sounds like in, in some ways she she definitely caught up. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is pretty cool. Uh, it, yeah. It's, yeah. That's kind of cool. That's yeah, awesome. she's pretty cool. Yeah. She's awesome. Yeah. So you also mentioned that your family is Irish, Irish and Catholic. Now, yeah. Do you, do you have that? The fact that you have dual citizenship is incredible. Um, can you put on a good brogue, Aaron? Sick, <laughs> 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 James. Don't put me on the spot like that, love. Now, me, my grandmother, <laughs> me Nana, today's her birthday. She's she's eighty-seven today. Oh, happy birthday, Nana! Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> my grandma's awesome. Yeah, her birthday is today, eighty-seven. She's off the boat. Still has the accent. When she says my name, which is Erin, she makes it have like nineteen syllables. She's like, "Oh, hello, Erin." It's like a million little <laughs> syllables in between. Like it's a melodic thing. But um, she's awesome. I, I'll never forget. I mean, she really is the one. 
one I would say that has shaped me the most in my life, my grandmother. Yeah. Um, I'll never forget being in, I guess it was high school and, you know, you're dealing with high school things and um, people, the world's like, be yourself, but also fit in, right? Like yeah. definitely do you, but also these are the rules, right? So, <laughs> so um, I remember I came home one day and I was bawling, crying and I was just like, everything sucks and nothing's fair and the girls are mean, I don't know what I'm doing. And she looked at me and she was like, oh, love. She's like, everybody knows it's much better to be somebody's shot of whiskey than everyone's cup of tea. Woo. And I was like, damn, Nana. And I never forgot that. And I thought about it a million times throughout my life when people are, you know, trying to make you play small or trying to push back or trying to put you in a box. You're just like, do I want to be everyone's cup of tea? And James, you and I are tea drinkers. We love tea. Tea is delicious. Tea is life. And... Would you rather be one person shot of whiskey or everyone's cup of tea? For me, I would take the former, but to each their own. So, yeah. <laughs> First off, shout out to Nana, dropping it right with the yeah. with the, with the quotes and the brogue. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm 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 here for that. Uh, I have a number of Emmy, I have second cousins that are still over in Ireland that, oh, yeah? that have the accent, and yeah, my family kind of comes from uh, Killarney. Uh, Killarney and Old Meath, which is just north of Dublin, uh, and uh, and so yeah, but uh, so that's where uh, the Taylor side and the O'Donoghue side of like my mom's family comes from. My middle name's Taylor, um, and uh, and so yeah, and, and so uh, yeah, the, the brogue is something that we always uh, something that we always bust out uh, for fun, but also you know the shoe fits, and yeah. uh, and so I love I love the way that you're telling stories also about Nana, and it's pretty amazing because you know I've, I've asked you about your family and some people that have impacted you. And so far, the only people you've listed in a, in a very positive light, as far as having a really big impact on you are women. And, and I'm not saying that men have not impacted you. And I'm not saying that you hate men, unless you do, in which case we can unpack that in a minute, but no, uh, you're married to one. Men. So I love, I love men a little too much. I love these <laughs> men. Okay, <laughs> let's be real. I'm a feminist who loves men. Is that allowed? <laughs> it. it is true. It is. Yes, it is. As long as you're pushing them to be better. Because uh, yes. some of us need a little work. <laughs> We're a work in progress. Many men are, myself included. Yeah, we all are. But yeah. yeah. But, you know, in your journey to falling in love with being a woman, you obviously have some incredible, you have an incredible example in your younger sister of someone who you wanted to role model, whether it's role modeling, being a strong woman or just being a strong human. I don't know. I'll ask you in a second, but then also your grandmother. Um, I don't know what role your mother played in your life, um, mm -hmm. but uh, you know, being a woman clearly means something to you. And I'm wondering when did that come about? When did you fall in love with being a woman was, you know, there's obviously moments where you realize that you're a woman middle school comes in real quick. Uh, and, and some of those biological things that happen. Um, but you know, when did you realize that being a woman is something that you are proud of that is beautiful and uh, that you, something that you are. I went to high school at an all girls Catholic high school taught by nuns. Okay. Incredible. And <laughs> So um, I am what I consider to be a recovering Catholic. So I don't know if you are a Catholic, you know a Catholic, you're a recovering Catholic, no matter where you are in the Irish scheme. Um, I believe in God. I go to church on Sundays virtually, obviously, but I do more of like the, the more general, like, you know, 
general evangelical kind of Christian thing, more sure. of like the, or the non-denominational is what it's called. Non-denomination, not evangelical. <laughs> the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know what they all are. Whatever. <laughs> I praise God on Sundays. I listen to the music. I get in, but I don't do you know the traditional church as much anymore. And I had three uncles that were all Jesuit priests, the good ones, good Jesuit priests. Um, Jesuits are great. Yeah, they were phenomenal. My, yeah. my one uncle was, um, he was the president of all the Jesuit colleges and universities in the country, actually. Um, and another one was a, a, a priest, a chaplain at Fordham University in the Bronx. And the third is actually right now, he's a, a missionary down in Nicaragua. So they're really just pretty much the most badass role models I've ever seen in my life. All three of these guys walked the walk big time. Um, and so they were big influences on my life. But um but, you know, as far as my kind of falling in love with, with the woman part, my, my one uncle, Charlie, who um, lived in D.C. for a long time, you know, he, he worked a lot with the Kennedy family. He worked with John Kerry on his campaign. So he was political, but also a priest. Really interesting guy. Um, he got me my first book on feminism when I was in like sixth or seventh grade. And I started reading it and I was like, whoa. Then I went to high school at an all girls Catholic high school with all nuns, which sounds like it would be this really restrictive, like in the movies kind of thing. But it was it was incredible because we at that formative time in our lives, instead of worrying about like how we looked or who was approving of us or who um, who was you know making who, who we were making to feel big or who we were putting on a pedestal. You know, we were the team captains of the lacrosse team. We were yeah. the class presidents. We were the leaders. And so we basically would just like roll up to school and it was all about, you know, just like content, the the learning and the friendships and the laughs. And it was so empowering. And then on the weekends, we'd go hang out with the Mount St. Joe boys at like the mixer or it was kind of <laughs> old school and innocent. You know, we'd be all dressed up and it was we hang out with boys on the weekends. But all week you didn't have that pressure of like looking at yourself through this like hyper feminine societal lens. You were just you. Yeah. And it was so important, I think, um, for really just making all of us be really confident in who we were as women. Um, and then I'll never forget going to college. Um, I went to Mount St. Mary's College for two years and then University of Maryland. And it was going to going to school with boys at age 18. And it was like, I was shell shocked because I was getting interrupted or, you know, we weren't we weren't always called on as much or we'd go to parties and we were the jocks. I played lacrosse, I played college lacrosse. And so we were used to being like, kind of like the cool ones. And the guys were kind of like, Hey, take it down a peg a little bit for a lot of us. And so mm -hmm. it was really interesting to like, I felt like I had to kind of like play a little smaller a little bit to yeah. kind of relearn how the masculine and feminine energies really kind of balance because I tend to be more of a tomboy. Um, and that doesn't always land well with, guys, which is why my husband's so great because he's a total feminist. I mean, he's from Alabama, you know, he likes to hunt and fish and you no, know, <laughs> he's likes to wear camo. I mean, he's a little bit of a redneck, but he also is a roll big champion of women. <laughs> yeah, well, he's rolled, he's rolled out all day, but he also is a big champion of women. And he, um, he loves, he has like, his mom is super empowered. She has a big personality and, um, he's a huge champion for my career. And, um, he, he just thinks you can, you can both be feminine and be powerful. So I feel really lucky that I found him because I feel like he's the first guy my whole life that I didn't have to kind of uh, dim down a little bit to make sure yeah. that he's threatened because he's so confident in who he is. So, you know, he wears his shorty shorts, 
He knows. He knows. Does he wear chubbies? Does he wear chubbies? He wears chubbies. Oh, no. (laughs) No. Yeah. Skies out, thighs out. Let's go. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) He loves I never forget when I first met him, we had a mutual friend that invited us both to go on a hike. And um, he got out of the car and I saw all that thigh and I was like, I am interested. (laughs) (laughs) I'm interested in that thigh meat. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I love the big shorty short. Sure. I I appreciate it. And yeah. uh, yeah, No. no. Uh, that <laughs> first off, that's beautiful. A couple of fun things around what you just said. Uh, first off, I how long how long did your uncle or has your uncle worked at Fordham? Uh, he worked there for gosh, I mean, I want to say fifteen years. He spent twenty years in India, and then he was yeah. in the Bronx doing the Lord's work. You know, in the on the streets, like getting in there preaching the good word. Um, and he yeah. was there probably fifteen years, I think. Okay. That's incredible. I, I, I worked at Fordham uh, oh, for a number did. of years, which is super funny. Yeah. So I, I know me some Jesuits um, and I'm wondering, yeah. yeah, maybe our paths cross, which is just kind of funny. Um, that's a, that's a fun fact, but I love that. Um, it was an uncle that put a feminist book in your hand. That's incredible. A especially a priest yeah. at that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And especially it's not like an uncle put a book in a woman's hand in 2021. Right. Yeah. Um, like this was a number of years ago Whoa. and which Whoa. was, like which that. is incredible. Incre- at least at least five years ago. Um, <laughs> this least. was like 50 years ago, at least. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was no such thing as audio books, so we had to hand you a regular book back so long ago. Yeah. <laughs> we handed you yeah. a microfiche. No, but uh, yeah. <laughs> but that's so that's incredible. And then and then I love I love what you said that you know we went to you went to an all girls Catholic school, which wound up being a very empowering experience, which is beautiful. Yeah. I've heard that from a number of women who went to all girls uh, schools, high schools. And wow. then you made this transition to to Mount St. Mary's where you play in lacrosse and, and you're doing all that and you're and you're playing smaller. I'm wondering, did the nuns or your teachers in high school, was there any conversation of like, hey, some of you are going to go off to a school where there are more men and here are some things that sometimes happen you know, stereotyping maybe some men or here, here's some way like they teach you about the politics of society and or, or privilege or anything like that. Was that a conversation or were they just kind of like, well, you didn't go to an all girls Catholic school. You're out. Um, though I guess you did Mount St. Mary's, but, uh, but it wasn't all girls, um, but still right. Like, was there any passing of knowledge at that point? You're so funny, James. I love how your mind works. You're so interested. And I love that question. Thank you for asking that. You know, they didn't. It was interesting because it was like we were this very feminist community where, you know, we played guitar at mass and we were the team captains and we spoke up and it was all women, you know, sharing, learning. But then there was also this weird kind of old school. You're supposed to get married and have babies is kind of your job. So it was this weird like Mm. we're preparing you to kick ass in life, but also don't forget that God made you to procreate and like take care of children. (laughs) So it was yeah. kind of a mixed message. And then keep in mind, they're nuns. So they've never been married and had kids, but they're preaching it. The whole thing that like you could really unpack all the different layers of it. Um, and I think, you know, for me kind of going into that experience um, in college, like because I'm a tomboy, because I'm a jock, like I always gotten along great with guys, but I'm also confusing yeah. to guys because I'm like, hey, like fist bump, let's like play sports and get sweaty. But then I also like love men and like I love a good like flirt session. So I'm just, I don't fit like, so I'm very confusing for men and myself and most of the world pretty much. But like, you know, 
but so I guess my point is if you're listening to this and you're like, oh my God, I get that. I, I feel like I don't fit, you know, the, the idea yeah. of multi-hyphenate or multi-personality or multi-passion. This is a new okay thing in mm-hmm. life. And it wasn't always okay. And when I first heard that from our mutual friend, Brian Fanzo, I was like, oh, oh my God, I feel so seen. And so luckily in 2021, hopefully the women that are in high school, in college, in their early 20s, in their, you know, mid thirties, whatever age you are, hopefully you can embrace and rejoice in the fact that you are in a time where you can be all of those things. You don't have to be, you know, in one of these boxes that for a long time, I think you kind of were expected to sort of be in. And I don't know if you feel that at all with, with your experience being, um, being a dude, but there are people see you like, okay, we see a beard. We see, you know, great hair. We see a well-dressed man, very articulate. They probably think certain things about you. Like he probably likes craft beers or he probably, you know, enjoys a, you know, round of golf or enjoys like a nice book by the fire. Like people look at you and they make assumptions, right? Like we all do. And, yeah. and so I think it's, it's cool that we are in a time where you could also be like a dance dad, like, you know, or you could like be a, you know, show choir teacher, you could do whatever you want, you know, and that's kind of the cool thing about these times is it wasn't always like that, you know? Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it is funny because I'm probably closer to being a show choir teacher and a dance dad than the other things that you listed, uh, which is super funny, right? But like, you're, you're, you're completely correct. We do put people into boxes societally, uh, society puts people into boxes, especially individuals um, that the population that has power wants to keep at bay, right? Mm-hmm. So white straight males um, are insecure about losing power and losing status. And so therefore we put people in boxes so that we can make assumptions and tell people, here's the height at which you can get to, right? Here's how, here's what you people are going to do, right? And that's done to women. That's done with people of color. That's done to uh, individuals who uh, love differently than them, uh, practice faith differently than them, right? Like, so, um, so you see it, uh, in, in so many different places for sure. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I agree, but you know, it's so funny. You, you mentioned that, you know, you're someone who, who loves men. I bet there's another piece that's confusing as well as that you're a bit of an extrovert. Um, I don't know if you knew that about yourself. Um, <laughs> uh, would you agree? Would you agree? Well, it's weird because you're not a complete like, extrovert, but I also need like so much downtime. Like yeah. I have, I don't know about you, but I don't know. I feel like a lot of us speakers, like we, like after this t- conversation, I'll like go retreat and do a little walk. And like, you know, I just, I don't know. I need a lot of like replenishment time to go and show up and be big and and, and pour into people. And then I don't know about you, but like, especially after a virtual event, like I recorded a whole virtual training series the last three days. I could sleep for like a week right now. Like it's just, you need to like kind of both recharge. I think the pandemic, I don't know if anyone else has found um, that it's really nurtured a lot of their introvert tendencies and also made you miss being an extrovert. It's really changed how you think about what you need energetically from your, your crew, you know? Yeah, it definitely has shifted. It definitely has shifted some things for sure. Um, And it shifted the concept of time for me a little bit, right. And who gets, who gets time? Mm -hmm. Um, and where do I give time? Those kinds of things have Mm -hmm. been fascinating to learn from a child also changes that stuff too, because you have so much less time in that moment as well. And you have to prioritize. Um, but as someone who is capable, let me reword. I'm I'm glad, I'm so glad that you pushed back on that. Um, But as someone who's capable of playing big, especially in social spaces, that's also confusing to men. Right. I would say uh, women who outwardly appear as extroverted, we'll name it that way. Right. We're always like, 
oh, you're talking to me? Oh God, that means you like me. This is so cool, right? Like, but like, what are we like? No, I'm just talking to you, bro. Like, calm down. Um, and so, right, I'm just just an outwardly nice person who can be interested in you and just as a person and not at all sexually. So why don't you tuck it back in, right? Like those kinds of moments are also confusing for yeah. uh, for women who have the ability to be extroverted in those situations. I know I married I married a woman like that and. It took her a long time to convince me because I don't, I never want to be that guy that like, no, I actually like you. I'm not just still being nice and interested in you. Like, let's make out, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> like I like yeah. you that way also. And so yeah. I don't know, being a woman is hard and I know I know nothing about it, but it's well, fascinating. It is. And I love what you just said there. Um, first of all, I mean, we can unpack so much here, but in the digital space, being a woman is really wild because I mean, I've been contemplating pitching a show to speaking of LA, um, pitching a show to the dreaded LA, um, about, um, what happens in direct messaging as far as women on social media, because it mm. is a jungle that you would not believe. And, um, I think it's, it's, it's tricky because you get, uh, you get a lot of creeps on the internet. And like, I've had a couple of situations where, We've had to like escalate, you know, to like legal mm -hmm. stuff and stalker and creepy and all kinds of stuff. So it's just, yeah. I think as a woman, it's just the, as anyone, you know, on the internet, the question you want to ask yourself is like, is the value exchange that's happening here, which is I don't have the privacy, I don't have the protection, you know, you're, you're putting yourself out there. You have to agree to like, all the terms of what that means. So mm. a lot of people want to be like influencers or they want to have lots of followers. And it's like, there's a trade-off there. There's a value exchange that's going to happen. So just preparing yourself for the reality of like when you are putting yourself out there, as Nana said, I mean, you are not going to be everyone's cup of tea and, and yeah. you are going to get those haters and those comments. And I'll never forget looking at, um, I don't know if you saw the Good News Network with um, Jim from The Office, uh, John Krasinski. Oh, so good. So good, right? So millions and millions of people during the pandemic are like, this guy's the man who's bringing good news. It's hilarious. It's Mary Poppins' husband. Oh, my God. And, you know, he had on his videos, you'll see he has anywhere from like 3,000 to 5,000 thumbs down for like a little old lady being helped across the street while carrying a puppy while eating ice cream. Like, it's like, yeah. what is, you, if he can't make the internet happy, no one can make the internet happy. Right? <laughs> so yeah. it's just like kind of being aware of that, that like, you know, I feel like a lot of us are contenting, um, to elicit a certain response. But the most important thing you can do is um, when you're pushing the damn button, as our friend Brian always says, um, make sure that, you know, you are being brave enough to just be your radically real, authentic, sometimes fumbling, sometimes oversharing, sometimes not polished self, because that is literally the only albatross or the only North star that you can use to mm. not get dragged down with the albatross of everyone weighing in on you all the time. Because otherwise... Man, if you read some of the comments and you read some of these DMs, you, you really have to block and bless. Like, block and bless. Like, bah, <laughs> no. No, sir. Block and bless. No, sir. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's interesting, though. It, it does. And I think it's I, I think about women growing up. Like, I mean, could you imagine having Facebook when you were in high school and growing up with social media? I mean, the gals these days, they're developing a thicker skin faster. Hi, baby. They're developing a thicker skin faster. Sorry, Betty, I wanted to say hi. Um, and they're they're growing up a lot faster too. I mean, think of that. I'm like, oh, I felt so empowered at an all-girls school without phones, without Facebook. Well, we have to work even harder, you know, as leaders and as 
And as guides for this younger generation, they need so much more armor. To, they need so they need to like prep to become so much more battle proof yeah. um, going into this world because it's it's there's a lot more factors that just even a decade ago didn't exist, you know. Yes, yeah, there aren't enough Sarah Bareilles songs in the world. Uh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <clears throat> I completely agree. Oh, Betty White's making an appearance. Look at this adorable cattle poo. Okay. How old is Betty White? She's ten weeks. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we gain we're 4.4 pounds and we have a big buddha belly show oh look at that oh yeah <laughs> i love it i love it this is yeah. a diner this is a diner that does allow pets uh okay. so no worries yeah so no worries <laughs> uh yeah i agree you know i have nieces that are 13 and to watch the way they are developing compared to my a nephew that is 13 is fascinating to see the difference, right? The stories that they are being told, the content that they are consuming, and, and also the impact that it's having in the way that we even have conversations. Um, it is, uh, yeah, it, it is, it is mind blowing to think about being raised in that generation. Right. And I think, you and I, I think are similarly aged. And so, you know, the fact that we were raised with, I, you know, I didn't have an email address at birth, right? I mean, I went through uh, instant messenger and came up with some damn witty away messages, but that was like my first experience of social media. And yeah. then, you know, got Facebook in college and, and, and then, you know, away, away, or and not even in college. It was like my last year of college was when I was able to get onto it. And so didn't have it my whole college career. And, and so not cause I didn't want to be on it, but because, uh, you know, Zuckerberg hadn't got it out to the masses yet. <laughs> and yeah. So, yeah. Um, but yeah. And so it's, it's fascinating to think about for sure. And yeah. so that leads us to this place where you decide to uh, write a book and I know you do a lot of stuff in digital content marketing, you wrote digital persuasion and whatnot. And, and you just kind of gave us a little window into some of that. Uh, but you know, now you have this book coming out called you're kind of a big deal. Uh, and it's targeted, pointed directly at women pointed directly at women. Uh, the whole title of the book, you're kind of a big deal leveling up by unlocking your audacity. And yeah. so, so when we, when we think about that, I mean, what is, what does that mean? Why do, uh, why do we need to tell people that they're a big deal? Why, what are people thinking otherwise? Yeah. Well, it's funny. So I, I discovered this concept for the book um, after a lot of my keynotes, James, I get all these DMs and like, usually you're thinking the DMs are going to be questions about the content that you just shared about digital persuasion and social selling and social marketing. And, you know, and all the questions had like nothing to do with my content. <laughs> it was like, I'm like, well, I'm glad that landed. You know, they're like, <laughs> how do you, how do you public speak? You know, how did you raise capital? You know, how, how do you, how do you do that? How do you become like that? And um, I was like, Oh, really? Like, Cause you know, you, you don't think you're like, it's like, what's so easy for you is your superpower, right? It's the thing that you're like, well, can't everyone do that thing? And if you have a thing like that, whatever throughout your life, someone's saying, gosh, James, what, how do you do that? And you, you, as soon as you think it's no big deal, like, of course, that is like your jam. That is your special God-given yeah. superpower that you need to hone in on and harness. So um, I basically went through all these like thousands of DMs and the same topics coming up over and over again formed the chapters for this book. So yeah. the chapters are actually answering DMs 
from the last three years talking about digital communication. And the book's about audacity, right? So audacity is kind of like confidence's older, bolder, sassier cousin because confidence is like, okay, you know, great. But audacity is daring boldly, which we've heard before, right? But it's daring boldly, even if it might be a little shocking to someone, maybe even offensive to someone. And that's when people are like, oh, pump the brakes. You know, we live in a culture where things are getting canceled left and right. You don't want to offend. You don't want to shock. But when you look back through history, all the women and men that have done anything remotely awesome, people, some people were not stoked on it. They weren't all go girl. Some people were like no girl a lot of times. And so when you think about, you know, what it takes for you to like get unstuck or get to the next level or try the thing or stop the thing or do the thing or be the thing, there's a lot of reactions around you that can get you stuck, especially as a woman, because as women, yeah. we're kind of taught to like not rock the boat and be a good girl. And there's all this nonverbal um, where we're supposed to sort of make everyone comfortable. And, and the reality is you kind of have to choose. Like you can either make everyone super happy um, and stay stuck or you can make audacious decisions, move forward, get shit done. And some people aren't going to like it. Now, being audacious is not about not caring what anyone thinks. That's ridiculous. Because, I mean, only people that don't care what anyone thinks are like narcissists and psychos and assholes, right? And, <laughs> you have to be, and we all care what people think or wouldn't post on social media. Like, it's just, that's stupid advice, right? Yes. Um, but what it is about is when the stakes are super high. And when you're at a crossroad that really can make a difference in how you level up personally or professionally, it's not about not caring what anyone thinks about your choices, but it is about having the big deal energy to care more about what you think about your choices. And that is sort of the difference. And I think that huge generalization here, but men tend to be, whether it's because they're conditioned this way or culturally or genetically, or because of thousands and thousands of years of patriarchy or whatever, they're better at um they're better at doing that they're better at trusting themselves they're better at blaming that it was the situation or the timing or this factor not themselves you know they're more comfortable um knowing that they're kind of a big deal you know and so um i call it a duditude right because dudes are like <laughs> i'm the fucking man i rock i got it right so it's like i love that about men i love i never forget i was backstage and um I was, it was the first I ever wore sneakers on stage because I hate wearing heels and I was just trying yeah. to be like corporate, like fit the mold and be the good girl and whatever. And um, so I wore a pair of sneakers on stage for the first time and I was like so nervous backstage and this guy, I was like, I don't know if it's okay. And this guy was like, cool shoes. I looked at his and there were these disgusting pair of Chuck Taylors. Like he'd either been wearing them since like third grade or got them out of a dumpster. And I was like, Yours too, which was like totally insincere. It was like someone from the Southwestern <laughs> part. Like it was not real. And he looked down. He was like, right? They're fucking sweet. And he walked away. And I was like, guys are awesome. Like he thinks those shoes are awesome. He walked away his little man strut. He's like, I'm, I'm looking good. I got this. I'm like, gosh, I want to bottle that and just distribute that to all the women in the world who worry about how they're coming across and how they're looking, what everyone's thinking. And is it okay? And just... To have that kind of freedom and that kind of dutitude takes a little audacity. I mean, it is a little shocking. Um, and so in the book, I talk about how you can unlock what I call your BDE, okay. which is your big deal energy. So your big deal energy is that intuition is individual and listening to that, that inner compass, that inner GPS lady that maybe in a British accent or an Irish accent or whatever accent <laughs> does actually know that you should turn left. Um, and can you start to listen to her and start to see the difference in what's possible. And so I share all kinds of stories from my personal life, my professional life. A lot of the women that I know that are badasses, like the women that just have that big deal energy, um, 
their stories are the backbone of the book as well. So just sharing the women that I admire. And there's a whole chapter called, um, it's called Caping Up, so you don't cop okay. out. And yeah. it's about borrowing other people's superpowers until you can develop your own and how that's okay. Um, and so I talk about all the women in my life that, where I've sort of seen what they were doing, whether it was in sales or marketing or asking for more money or, you know, starting the venture or walking away from the bad relationship. And I would always like look to the women in my, my life that were good at that. And I would think like, what would they do? How would they act? And I would just kind of borrow their audacity until I could find my own. And it was a sort of bridge between like, I can't do it and I've got it. There's this whole like messy middle ground. So the book talks a lot about how you can better navigate that as well. Woo! Go ahead, go ahead, tell them. Big deal energy. Uh, <laughs> BDE, baby. BDE, bringing it, bringing it. Mm -hmm. I love that. That is... What a, just what a great concept, and and yeah. I love the way that you're delivering it, and and the 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 the, the title, uh, the chapter titles are hysterical as well, and uh, it, it's clearly full of your life and your energy, which is incredible. And you know, I know you talked about dutitude. It's fascinating because you know, I don't have that, but I know why you <laughs> said that, right? Like I don't, and 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 so I mean, I I just have I've been working on my confidence. I talked to a counselor about me you know, the concept of deserving and the conference of uh, the the concept of of letting uh, letting myself be the one who's allowed to determine that I am enough that I am worthy that I am whatever mm -hmm. right like those kinds of things um and so uh, and, and so that that's me so I'm a little bit different and you know I totally get where it comes from and I think the, the cliche type A or alpha male um, type energy is what you described. I think there's also this interesting thing that men often do where I think men are often more interested in being cool than being great, mm. right? And being cool is having dutitude, right? Like yeah. it is that idea that I'm going to like, you know, oh, yeah, I got it, bro. No, no, what are we doing over here? Yeah, I can do that. No, I handle that. Yeah, no, 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 no. I got it. I gotta watch your mouth, right? You know, like you know, like like that kind of thing exactly. where it's like that swagger, like, nah, I deserve this, right? Like, and don't get me wrong, there are plenty of men that say those things and believe them to be true. I also believe that there's a good chunk of men that have been carefully trained that their emotions need to be like a sound wave and they can never get too high or too low. Yeah. They gotta stay in this pocket, right? Yeah. Because men are taught from a pretty young age that they should be internal processors. So yeah. I'm not going to let you in on my process. I don't know if you've noticed that at all um, in in the relationship arc of of with your with your husband, but I know for me, you know, it's it's taken me a little bit to let Tina, my wife, in on my process of here's yeah. what I'm thinking, here's how it's impacting me. Instead of I'm going to go through it, I'm a tucker right here in this little lump in my throat, yeah. and I'm going to present you with the solution instead of talk to you about strategy. Right. And, yeah. and so it is interesting the way men often, uh, often show up and what we are taught. And so yeah. I, I'm not saying that I disagree with you. I just think it's also interesting to talk about the deeper layers of the onion that you brought yeah. up. Yeah. Oh my gosh, James. So good. I mean, my husband, he's not a big, he's a spreadsheet programmer. He does AI <laughs> and machine learning, computer vision, yeah. all this crap. I can't explain why I can't, I can. but he is, he is, we are totally, I mean, we talk about opposites attract. I mean, we are opposites. Like our word count per day is like 90,000 <laughs> to like nine. It is like, yeah. 
<laughs> you know, so, um, but, but what I have learned from him in the arc is similar to you. I mean, he grew up, you know, old school, Southern, you know, stiff upper lip, you know, crying is not for boys. Um, and, you know, when we, when we get in fights, you know, I, I'm very like emotional and I scream and I burn everything down and then it's like, I'm totally fine. I'm like, oh, what happened? Like, why is everything like, in, like smoldering? Um, and I'm totally fine. I'm like, are we good? Like, we're, we're fine now, right? But whereas he, he's like, uh-huh. But then he'll process it like day, like, it'll take him days to like process and unpack. And then three or four days later, he'll like lash out about something. And I'm like, whoa, you can just say you don't want fries, you know, but, but then it'll be like, it'll be that it's finally gone through the, the machine and he's now ready to kind of talk about it a little bit. And so I think respecting the process someone has with the with where they put the emotions and how they unpack them and how they how they deal with them, I think is really, it's certainly untangling a necklace in the relationship that I think is a constant that you are always working on. Yeah. Um, and I think that the fact that you know, men aren't encouraged to share their feelings. They aren't encouraged to be vulnerable. You know, I have one of my girlfriends is a really high powered executive in uh, the Bay Area and she is the breadwinner. She works for a fortune 100 and she's a boss. And so her husband mm -hmm. is stay at home dad. He, they have three kids and, you know, he has shared with me. He's like, you know, it sounds ridiculous, but he's like less than 2% of dads are stay at home dads. And he goes to the playground and the moms leave him out. They, they don't respect him, you know, they're not nice to him and it sucks because he's doing the hardest job you can do. Um, and he's being a feminist and he's showing up and raising the kids and he's a love bug and a great cook and he's fun and he's a man. I mean, he's, he's great. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the society still in some ways are kind of like, but is that masculine? Is that okay? And so I think to your point, it, it certainly is a huge generalization to put gender around it. And everyone, it's always interchangeable and everyone's situation is different. Um, and I think um, for the most part, there are, there are, you know, men like to fix things. You guys like to fix things. There's a problem with it. And yes. emotions are never like fixable. They're more like we want, like women want to analyze it and unpack it. And it's like, it's just different how we process. So um, I think that, I, I think it's really courageous that you shared that because I would never get that from you. I would never get that you don't feel confident and empowered and like you can talk to your feelings. To me, you seem like you've done a lot of work and you seem super evolved. So I don't know how much the narrative is what you're telling yourself and how much is the reality. Yeah, no, and that's fairly true. And that's what, that, and that's why we're talking to the counselor right there. Um, because why, why are some of the stories, why am I still writing these stories when I'm yeah. not always living them? Right. And, uh, but yeah. And I, you know, uh, I, I also want you to know that I'm not making excuses for men, right? Men, men need to, we are, we are a work in progress. And just because societally we've been taught this for whatever, doesn't mean that we should accept it and be fine with it. Right. That's not, that's not how it works. Um, yeah. and, and just as, and, and, and to bring it back to your book, right. Women are societally told that they should be ducks, right. You know, keep it real clean and beautiful up top and you leave the hot, leave the hot mess down below. Right. But you yeah. show up smooth. Like it was effortless. Right. And that's bullshit. Yeah. Right. And so we're not, none of us can be beholden to what side society has told us and use, use it as an excuse. We make ourselves aware of it. We own it. We apply it to our own lives and we decide what's right and what's wrong for us. And so that's why I love this book and what you're doing with trying to create this big deal energy out there. And I love that you're using other women's stories, but you know, I don't have other women on my podcast today. Aaron, I have yours. So I'm going to ask you about your story and uh, maybe we'll get some of those other badasses on here. Still trying to figure out if LGO is going to come on the show. Um, but, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, she's, she's, she's awesome. Uh, but yeah, still sure. the, uh, the idea of creating big deal energy 
that is something that you've already shared how that maybe that came out, you know, your uncle gives you the book and starts to teach you about being feminism. You go to the Catholic high school and you start to, you're, you're taught to be a, 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 a woman who can take up space and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But confidence, I, I often think of confidence as a favorite. One of my favorite quotes is happiness is only a place that you can visit, but the smartest people go there often. That's a wise quote from the sage anonymous. Um, and so, you know, <laughs> I apply that we take out happiness and insert confidence. Confidence is only a place that you can visit, but the smartest people go there often. How have you, how has your journey been with confidence as someone who has worked at a a major job, decided to blow it up and leave. And now you've had startups, you've had companies that have worked. I'm sure you have entities that have not worked and whatnot. What's your relationship with confidence? Yeah. I mean, I think that, that when it comes to confidence, um, I really don't like the phrase, fake it till you make it. I really don't like that Right. I really don't. I, I, you know, I think that um, confidence is such. It's. It's. We. We all tend to look outwards for confidence. We like. We want those likes. We want the comments. We want the retweets. We want the house and the stuff. And I mean, I can tell you, like, full stop, that like the most miserable I ever was was the year I made the most money I've ever made. Mm. And that is for sure. I mean, mm. it was, this is like five years ago and I was making the most money I've ever made in my entire life. And I was having mental breakdowns in the shower. I was miserable. I hated life. Everything was awful because I wasn't um, confident in my abilities. I wasn't confident in who I was. I wasn't confident in the decisions that I had made. I wasn't confident in my commitments. Confidence at the core of everything. Confidence is at the core of everything when you're looking to draw joy and fulfillment and purpose from your life. And when I tell you that when I was pitching a table full of Newport beach investors, a tampon delivery service business, they are (laughs) sitting around. It's like 10 really tan rotastic dudes Mm -hmm. that look like they are just come from like a CrossFit gym playing (laughs) Kanye West. Okay. With their designer jeans. Okay. They're all around this table. And I'm the only chick again. And I'm at the top of the table and I am seeing their eyes glaze over. I'm talking about a tampon delivery service. It's a dollar shave club, but for tampons. And they are all like looking like if I keep talking, they're 100% going to barf their sashimi all over the table. Straight up. And I'll never forget the one guy like interrupted me and he grabbed, had the tampons in the middle of the boardroom table and he grabbed the tampon and threw it at one of the guys. And he was like, dude, I dare you to open it. And the guy was like, "Ew, you do it. So this like tampon hot potato, like schoolyard. In the middle of the pitch. Yeah. And I'm like, this never happens on Shark Tank. (laughs) (laughs) And in that moment, I was like sweating through my Spanx. It was tanking. It was a disaster. And I just saw these guys and they were so confident and they were so like, they're throwing tampons around. They have their feet up on the thing. They don't care. They know they're a big deal. They know they're a big deal and they're joking around and they're laughing. And I'm like, you know what? What's the difference? These guys know they're a big deal. I'm a fucking big deal. We're all like, you're a big deal. If you decide you're a big deal, it's up to you. You're the only one. I'm not going to sit here and let these guys say whether or not I'm a big deal. I am. I grabbed the tampon and I used it as a microphone and a pointer for the rest of the presentation. Well, they all leaned forward and started paying attention. They were like, we don't know about tampons. Pretty gross. But we bet on the jockey, not the horse. Did you bring a term sheet? So I raised the money, seven figures of capital to start PMS.com. 
And I'd love to say that I then made it a screaming success and I just went off into the sunset and I'm a billionaire on a private island. No, the company within a year after being featured in Forbes, working our butts off, learning all about FDA regulations and Chinese shipping policies and backend e-commerce systems and advertising, all these things, turns out like the margins on these things are really, really small. And there's two big companies that have owned this forever and five copycat companies cropped up trying to copy what we were doing. Well, none of us made it. None of us made it. So we sold the URL within a year and we broke even. It was not a disaster. It was not a success. But what I found in that failure, which was horrible to admit to those investors because they were like, we knew Tampa. What, what were we thinking? You know, it was really awful. I'd eat a huge poo sandwich in front of these guys. It was really, really the lowest point. What I found was that in that experience, I it, the idea was not strong enough. It was a nice to have, not a need to have. It didn't solve a painful enough problem, pun intended. Mm. And what I discovered in that failure was that my superpower was not running an e-commerce business, but it was creating the community around it. And so we had the internet's largest collection of period humor and period jokes and women coming together and laughing and crying and having emotions. We had millions and millions of women in this group. And so what I found in that was like, okay, I do know how to build community. And we parlayed that into my third venture, which third time was a charm was Socialite, which was building communities for brands. And that took off and worked with all these big brands, you know, the Oscars and the Navy and Visa and all these people. And that became my book and my method and my coaching and like what I do now. But, but it all came from like having the confidence to fail and fail big and fail publicly and fail messily. And all the I told you so's and all the embarrassment and all the back to square ones and all the reinvention, because I think confidence comes from repeated intentional failure. Mm-hmm. I think that those, those failure wounds, that becomes your success scar. And those success scars, the more you get, the more confident you get. But you have to be able to just take the leap, know you're a big deal and ask for the damn money in the first place. That story is outrageous. <laughs> First off, brilliantly told. Great specifics from Kanye West to Shashimi. Uh, <laughs> but outside of outside of the incredible storytelling, what a uh, what a horrific scene to set that you then flipped on its head into some serious badassery. And that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah. The that moment you said where you grabbed grabbed the tampon, used one as a microphone, the other as a pointer. The that moment that that big deal energy that you flexed yeah. in that moment of like I am a big deal. Sure, you can be a big deal, but that doesn't mean I'm not a big deal. Yes, I borrowed it. I borrowed it from them. This guy I called yes. him Two Tan Todd. There's always a Todd, right? There's always a Todd. So Two Tan Todd, and I was like, this guy thinks he's a big deal, yeah. and I just looked at him and I was like, if he was up here. He would not be shrinking. He would not be sweating through his spanks. He would be like, I am crushing this pitch. He'd have a dude to a mile wide and be like, I'm the man. So I just <laughs> borrowed it and until I could feel my own. And that's what I'm talking about, but the caping up so you don't cop out. Look around you. There's so much big deal energy that you can borrow to help unlock yours because it, it already lies within you. It's just whether or not you choose to tap into it. Yeah. Yeah. That's facts. I really right believe there. that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's facts. So, when it comes to that big deal energy and creating it for yourself, borrowing yeah. it is an interesting concept. And, and I think there are still moments where we tell ourselves stories, right? That I'm not blank enough, cool enough, funny enough, smart enough, hot enough, yeah. rich enough, whatever, good enough type stuff. And so 
how are you helping individuals or how would you recommend individuals, uh, women in this case, rewrite the stories that they're telling themselves? Uh, Borrow, borrowing energy is great, right? Yeah. But that's there's still that voice inside of us and we're, we're actively building barriers that yeah. aren't there, that don't yeah. need to be there on the path to our goals or, or happiness or love or whatever, right? We actively build these barriers. So, you know, what are your thoughts on that? And, 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 and how do you think individuals can start to rewrite some of those stories? Yeah. Oh my gosh, James, it's so good. I mean, the first, the most important thing I would say is we have to reframe reactions. We have to reframe how we think about how people respond to us. So if you're doing something big, big action ignites big reactions. If you aren't really rocking the boat, if you aren't really rolling the dice, if you aren't really doing something that makes you sweat through your Spanx, everyone's like, no, that's great. That's good. That's great. Because it's not really that big of a deal, right? Big action ignites big reactions. And we also know that people's reactions to us are just reflections of how Mm. your big deal energy or your big deal action is making them feel. Maybe you're making them not able to quite tell that same narrative of why they can't do it when they can see you doing it. Maybe you're making them feel a little uncomfortable because you're saying the thing that no one wanted to say. Maybe you're doing the thing that they were too scared to do. People respond to you based on how your action has made them feel. Reactions are just reflections of them. And so the biggest thing women can do, and men, anyone can do, is to, when you're doing the big thing, to immediately, instead of hearing everyone around you like, no, this is ridiculous, are you crazy, are you insane, red light, red light, red light, turn that red light into a green light. Reframe those reactions as actually blinking green light indicators that you are headed on the right path, that you're actually doing something that is a big deal. Because if you're not getting those, what are you doing? You know? So I think that that's a really, really big component of this is, is reframing reactions and reframing that rejection and, and just being clear that like, yes, you want to be a good person. You want to, you want the people that you love to love what you love. Of course we do. Of course we want people that we love to be like supporting us and high-fiving us. But the truth is when you are really doing something that is big, people, sometimes they aren't saying go girl. Sometimes they're saying no girl. And that's kind of actually what gets us stuck. It's not even necessarily our actions. It's our reactions to how everyone else is responding. So it's like really preparing yourself that it's not an if, it's probably a when people are telling you it's a bad idea, that you have to have the big deal energy to do it anyway. And you might fail. And if you do, that's honestly like every woman in my book that I interviewed their common thread of badassery was that they had so many failures under their belts. Their failure reps were like six packs. They were just like six pack <laughs> abs of failures. And that was the common unsexy truth of what makes them such badasses and such big deals. They just kept getting up, trying it, failing, and kept going. And then eventually they figured out their way. And that is like literally the most unsexy answer. No one wants to hear that. They want four minute abs, they want four <laughs> failure abs, right? But that's the truth of what it takes to get there. So um, the biggest thing women and men need to do is to, when they hear all that negative feedback, that negative pushback online or offline, immediately, instead of doing the automatic shrink, take that and reframe it and be like, ooh, this is an indicator that it's time to expand. Yeah. Yeah. 
uh, <laughs> the four, everybody wants four minute abs, not four failure abs. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Buy that URL. See how well it does. Uh, <laughs> four failure abs.com. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, that's amazing. <clears throat> so, uh, we as speakers oftentimes teach things that we need to hear. And that is something that we are very good at. <laughs> I know I'm very good at it myself. And, yeah. and, but I'm not shy about the fact that I'm doing it either. Yeah. Right. I, I never claim to be done with the race and now telling other people how to run it. It's very much like, Hey, I'm a little bit further in the race. So let me tell you about some of the obstacles between where you are and where I am yeah. while I continue to try to run it myself. And so, and by run, I mean, walk and walk races anyway, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I love it. nothing's that serious to run, but <laughs> So I know I'm saying that to a runner, um, but either way, <laughs> but either way, I'm wondering right now in your life, Aaron, where do you need to take your own advice? What's mm. sticking out for you right now? That is like, you know, James, <laughs> sometimes I, I get on stage or I open up the zoom camera and I talk to an audience about this. And in the back of my head, I'm like, you son of a bitch. You need to listen to this too. Right. Like this is, this is also for you, Aaron pulled the mirror up, right? Yes. Like what are, what's something in your life that's happening right now that you're like, you know what? I could, I could use a little of my own advice right now. Oh my gosh, James, you are just like, that's an arrow right to the heart of the bullseye, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, we preach and teach everything we need to hear and gosh, it is easier to be a coach than a player. Sometimes that is for dang sure. Um, I think even in this pandemic, especially so many of our fellow speaker friends having to walk their talk, you know, it was interesting. It was interesting to see who was able to do that. You know, who was on team, like wait till it's over and who was on team, create your way, create, reinvent, go for it. Yeah. And I, we've all seen both reactions and both responses. Um, you know, when it comes to sort of taking my own advice, I'd say every word in the book I need to reread <laughs> and highlight and take. Um, but, you know, working in digital communication, being an entrepreneur, I have areas of my life from a business standpoint where I've put in the reps. If you had me talking about digital communication, sales strategy, entrepreneurship, raising capital, you know, creating teams, um, selling clients, whatever, I have so many reps under my belt that I'm like, you know what? I'm not Yoda, but I have about 80% confidence that I can share with you <laughs> real stories that had real results. And hopefully I'm an expert of my own experiences. Hopefully you'll find a nugget in there that will trigger you to become the expert of yours. That I feel mm. so confident all day and so audacious, like fire away. Like even this interview, like I'm used to doing interviews about communication and sales and entrepreneurship where I just feel like such an expert, you know, with this book, it's sort of a, it's the book I wrote it because of all the DMS I was getting asking all these other questions. And immediately that classic friggin' imposter syndrome is like, well, who am I to like answer how people <laughs> should do anything? Like I'm figuring it out. Like I'm like, what? And so, um, you know, I think it took, it took probably 10 or 15 of the women that I talked to where I'm like, how did you get, where they were like, kind of my sheroes, where they were like, when are you going to believe that your stories are big enough? Whoa. When are you going to believe that your stories are big enough? And because we always think, well, we're not this person. Well, we're not LGO, right? We didn't work for Clinton. You know, we're not Malala. We didn't fight off the Taliban. We're not Bethany Hamilton. We didn't get our arm eaten off by a shark and then paddle out a couple months later. 
we're like basic <laughs> medium brave bitches. We're not like real brave bitches, you know? So we always have those people that are more insert adjective here than us. And so we discount our stories as being big enough. And so for me, in writing this book, what I have a hard time with is believing that what I have to share is big deal enough to make the big deal impact that I hope it will. It's a crowded space. There's so many players on the internet. And I think being an expert of your professional experiences is a much more comfortable place than putting it out there that you're saying you're an expert of your personal experiences because it's more personal. It's more intimate. It's more vulnerable. Vulnerability is scary as shit. So for me, I think believing that my stories are big enough, believing that, you know, even if one or two of my stories or the stories that I'm curating from my network can help some gal who is maybe not going to the all girls high school. Maybe she's at, you know, the public school and she's struggling with like the bullies or the guys or the online bullying or whatever. It's like, yeah. can one story change someone's life? Stories have changed my life for sure. And I really believe in their power. So I'm just hoping that I can believe in the bigness of my own book. Mm. Believe in the bigness of your own book. Vulnerability is scary. So much in that. So much. Aaron, I cannot thank you enough for hanging out with me today and coming into the diner. It was lovely sharing a milkshake, or I guess you're in Cali, so we can do a wheatgrass shot or something. But uh, yeah. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Oh, bye, yeah. Betty White. <laughs> uh, I'm super excited, super excited for you and and the book coming out. And I cannot thank you enough for for sharing your energy, sharing your story, sharing your family, uh, and sharing your wisdom with us today. Thanks for coming in the diner, fam. James, you are incredible. Thank you for your thoughtful questions, your big open heart, and your fantastic personality. I just I love your big deal energy, and you are definitely a big damn deal. So thank you very much. That's it. We out here. We out here, y'all. My friends, that was this episode of Diner Talks with James with Erin King. Make sure you get her her new book, You're Kind of a Big Deal. It's available for pre-order on Amazon right now. You're going to want to get it when it comes out, okay? Because it's time to start drinking the juice that she is pouring, my friends. It is so wonderful. And I think I'm going to get it too. I don't care. I'm not a woman, but I still need to level up. And we can all take the advice that is within her book. I'm super excited that you all came and kicked it with me in the diner today. I hope the floor wasn't too sticky. I hope you like the checkerboard pattern. I hope your milkshake was great, my friends. And until the next time we're able to spend time together, Keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. You all take care. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Diner Talks with James. It was so much fun getting to hang out with you and finish our milkshakes in that squeaky red leather booth. <laughs> if you do me a favor and smash that subscribe button, that would be dope. And also, if you could leave a review on iTunes, well, <laughs> come on now, you're going to make me blush. <laughs> also, if you want to be a part of the action, we record these live on YouTube Live every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Go to YouTube and type in James T. Robo and smash that red subscribe button so you know when we go live next. Also, while we're on the subject, I'm James T. Robo all over the internet. I post meaningful content on Instagram, witty content on Twitter. Let's get connected in some other places, folks. And as always, if you're interested in learning more about the guest tonight, please check out the show notes. 
My friends, until next time, keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. Y'all take care.